This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Everybody, welcome back to the podcast, Confessions of a Creative Director, the original podcast made by a creative director for creative directors, for people aspiring to be creative directors, for creatives of all types, writers, artists, anybody who is looking for some inside baseball sort of tricks and tips on how to lead creative teams. This podcast is for you. Welcome. I am your host, Jaime Cabrera, veteran creative director of many years. Uh, yeah, and uh, welcome to the show. Before I forget, I just want to encourage everybody, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about it. Uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Let me know that you're listening. Uh, that I would surely appreciate it. That's going to be the only way that we grow the podcast. So if you would, take a second here. Hit that subscribe button and uh, tell a few friends about the podcast. Uh, an update about the book. Uh, I'm going to drop some artwork, the cover uh, artwork here pretty soon so that you can check that out. Uh, I'm looking for a November, looking at a November uh, release date. Super excited about that. Um, and I can't wait to share that with all of you guys. On today's show, I have a very special guest. Ashley Davis Marshall. She's executive creative director for the Martin Agency. And we had sort of a, 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 a we got connected in sort of a funny way. Um, I had her friend on the podcast, Jacqueline Rink Crowley, who is uh, executive creative director for Anomaly uh, in New York City. And she was kind of relaying this funny story from her past. And she mentioned her, her partner at the time, who is Ashley. And she did kind of a, a funny little impression of her. And, and I picked up on the fact that I, I thought, is Ashley from Texas? Because that had a little bit of a twang to it. And sure enough, Ashley is from Texas. So I'm like, I got to reach out to her. So I did. She was lovely. And she graciously uh, agreed to be on the podcast. And it's a great one. She shares a lot of great um, inside sort of information on what it takes to be uh, an executive creative director at the level that she's at and you know not surprisingly because it's it's pretty common as you uh, may have heard uh, on the podcast right her confession is all around imposter syndrome um which is crazy because she's had such an amazing career but i think in talking to her we sort of figured out what the root of it or at least one of the causes of it might be and her and i kind of share that so uh, that's a, how's that for a teaser? So without further ado, let's get into it with Ashley Davis Marshall. Ashley Davis Marshall, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, thanks for making the time. I love that name. It sounds very, very, very Texas. Yeah, I think that's why I um, that's why I don't want to lose it because it's like anybody with multiple 
multiple names in their in in their name, you, you can't argue with them. Ashley Davis Marshall. Um, I, I love it too. I love now, it too. Now, now, the way you just said it just then sounded like maybe your mom or your or, or your or your well, dad or your grandma or somebody saying Ashley Davis Marshall. It wouldn't um, have been Ashley Davis Marshall. It would have been Ashley Kathleen Marshall. Oh, Ashley that's Kathleen right, Davis. That's right. Ashley Kathleen Davis. But I lost the Kathleen along the way, and I that's bumped right. Davis up to to middle. I love it. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for making the time. I, I know you've you've got a busy schedule, and it was so kind of like I got a two for one, so to speak, when I was interviewing uh, Jack, uh, Rick yeah. Crowley on the on the last show, and and she brought you up, and I was like, okay, I'm going to look her up, and then you posted something really nice, and I was like, okay, we got to have her on the show. So, thanks, uh, thanks for making the time. Yeah, I really enjoyed enjoyed your interview with her. Quite a bit. I, I, I think it was a great interview, despite the fact that, uh, or be, not simply because I just lo love her and adore her, but I thought it was really, really insightful and fun to listen to. So thank you. Yeah, it, w it was a lot of fun. And she had a lot of a lot of great things to, to say about you. And, um, you know, that that whole connection of, of you two being together, we'll, we'll have to spend some time talking about that. But before we do, let's have a little toast here. Uh, All right. I'm drinking a sparkling water today. I'm doing an aha. What do you What do you got over there? I have a giant jug of of water, of pure water. I don't drink enough water, so this is an opportunity for me to actually consume some water. I love it. I love it. Good for you. Look at us. We're being healthy. I love it. Healthy. 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 All right. Cheers to that. Cheers. And it's always nice to meet a fellow. Um, Texan creative. I, I feel like I don't meet enough of them. And I, I did interview somebody else that works at GSDNM, and I know that you're a, an alum. Uh, Lee Brown. I am. I don't, I don't know if you know her, Lee Brown. She may have. That been. name sounds familiar, but I don't recall. Yeah. I don't recall her. But yeah, it sounds so, familiar. So we're gonna get. We're gonna talk a little bit later about this whole. You know, which is which is crazy to me that you know the imposter syndrome and and kind of you feeling that way because. As I was looking at your at, at your resume, and I shouldn't do this, right? But I, I look at people's resumes, and it's it, it it makes me feel like such a hack because you have this amazing <laughs> this amazing trajectory and this list of agencies, and I always like to list them off, you know, especially when they're this impressive. But it's like Shia Day, GSDNM, Saatchi and Saatchi, BBDO, Silver and Partners, Wyden and Kennedy. And now you're the ECD at the Martin agency. So that that you're you're kind of like imparting some uh, imposter syndrome on uh, on me. I'm just kidding, but <laughs> it, it is kind of true because it's such an impressive uh, resume. Uh, you sh you should be pretty proud of that. Well, thank you. I I'm definitely proud of it, and I I feel really lucky that I learned from literally some of the best creative directors in the business. Um, so yeah, I, I recognize that. And when 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 you say it out loud, it, it is kind of stupid that I, I have imposter syndrome, but I do like to let people know that it doesn't matter who you are right. or what you've done, that imposter syndrome, you know, it seeps into our brains. Right, right. And say, save that thought, because we'll, we'll definitely come back to that. But um, speaking about all these incredible creative directors that, that you have worked for and with, Mm -hmm. How now, how now do you, would you describe the role? I, I I love metaphors and analogies and things of that mm -hmm. nature. 
how would you how do what do you what do you equate it to well i think i mean are you asking about the role of ecd or the role of creative director because i think they're a little bit different well let's um, i mean you're an ecd so let's talk about that one because i think that's you know yeah okay so i put some thought to this and i was a little bit i was a little bit nervous to say this because it's such a such a bad correlation because one one of these jobs is life or death and one of them is not and the one that's not is the one that i hold um but i think that just for the sake of this conversation triage nurse is uh is one that i think is a good metaphor for the role of ecd um without the life and death stuff of course yeah. And, you know, tell me a little bit why, uh, about why, why? You, you see it that way, besides the blood, yeah, the, uh, the blood and guts and the crying and whatnot. <laughs> I mean, sometimes those things do show up. But, you know, if you think about it, a triage nurse has to evaluate every situation individually. And every situation is a, a new and different one to kind of look at and say, like, okay, what's happening here? What's going on with this person? Is everything as um, as it seems? Is uh, is er all are all of the pieces of information here? Are there vitals that I haven't checked yet? What do I need to dig deeper to get to the bottom of what's going on? And you have to do that quickly. Um, and so, I feel like that's what being an ECD is is kind of like. And again, not to over ramp on the the role or. Uh, wrongly equate to a more important job but i i do have to in my position i do have to enter every conversation that i've had with uh you know a lot of unknown you know there may be there may be a subject of what the meeting is about that shows up on my calendar there may not it may be it's, it may be unclear there's just a lot of opportunities for misinformation to come up and then when you get into the conversation a lot of times you realize oh i'm having an altogether different conversation than i thought i was having this is an altogether yeah. different problem um and so you have to kind of get really quick with uncovering what the what the concern or issue is because it is always always a concern or an issue it's very rarely just like hey this is the awesome thing that's happening <laughs> take a look it's usually right. like everything's great except we need to overcome this piece how do we how do we solve this and so you have to be able to read between the lines quite a bit and sometimes i think you know even that's the, that's part of the problem is identifying or part of the the job is identifying what what the problem is right. not just here's here's the solution but even digging a little deeper to find out what the problem is what's the cause and how can we solve it quickly? So, following that 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 metaphor of the of the triage nurse, is it is it fair to say also that some things you just can't, some things you just can't get to because you're you know, or not get to, but some things you have some things you have to put aside for a minute or maybe for good and say, okay, I I trust you, you run with that because I've got this other thing over here that's bleeding. Out. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, that's an, I mean that's another another reason why the metaphor makes so much sense to me is because sometimes you have to say, oh wow, this this is a candy striper over here who's handling this other thing, but I'm seeing that they have it, and we have another person who has no one to help them right now. So the candy striper is going to just going to have to save right. save this person's life while I go save this other person's life. 
And again, it's not life or death. I hate that I'm making that metaphor. No, um, yeah, but... but but yeah, you have to be able to run to the fire that needs you most, and um, you know, let let other people handle the other ones. And do you find, you know, obviously, I'm sure it depends on the day, but it, it seems like that could be exhausting, but in a in a sense, also somewhat exhilar- exhilarating and exciting, and you're kind of bouncing around. Yeah. But does it ever get to the point where it's like, wow, that's it's hard? I think it's I think it's the adrenaline is really fun for me. And I think, you know, I'm sure it's exhausting. And there are days when I'll be tired and I'm like, why am I so tired? It's like, oh, because I mentally went through a lot of stuff today and my brain is needs a rest. But I do think it's more exhilarating than anything. Just I get really excited by um like working through stuff. I, I like helping people and I like um, walking out of, you know, any given day, having made, been a, a part of the contribution of the work getting better, the people feeling better, the, you know, the, the creatives knowing their place and where they want to go more. That's, that's really satisfying as cheesy as it is. So if I were to ask your team to s- describe your, your leadership style, what do you think? Mm-hmm. What do you think they would say? Well, you know, I have my I have my presumptions on what I think they would say. I don't know if this is true, but I think that they would say uh, she's a lot more approachable than I figured she would be, um, because kind of going back to the imposter syndrome, I think that if you're an outsider looking at someone's achievements or what they've done it can feel like that person's going to look down on me or going to assume something that's untrue about me. And so that can be a a presumption that people go into a relationship or into a working relationship with me thinking, and this is all again, a presumption, a, a presumption. So I don't know. But then once you start working with me, you realize I'm, I'm a big goofball who has insecurities and, uh, will is not afraid to admit, like, I don't know what the hell to do right here, right now. What do you think? And so I think a lot of people come out working with me, like, feeling relieved and and happy that I'm much more approachable than they than they thought. Yeah. And I think I think I, I was, you know, in doing my research, I, I saw and now I think we're connected on, on LinkedIn. So I see you know, some of the things that you post. And there was something, I think you liked somebody else's post about creative directors giving better direction at the at the beginning. Is that right? It was something about, you know, not, you know, not, um, and, and a bunch of people started co- commenting, you know, about like the standard things that, that, that some executive creative directors or creative directors say, like, keep pushing it. Have fun mm-hmm. with it. Do you, do you recall that? I think you commented. I think it was somebody that you worked with at at Wyden and Kennedy. So it sounds. I, how would you? That sounds like you, me. Yeah. How do you? You know, what what are the types of things that you might tell somebody as you're coaching them? Um, I, if if I'm coaching them as a creative director or a creative, if I'm creative directing them, I think specificity is really really important. Um, specificity in what you're looking for what you don't like, um, what you think isn't working and why it's not working. That's so, so important when 
um, teaching people how to be better at their job. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes I think people forget that um, you want the people who work with you and for you to be better at their job. You don't want them to be dependent on you for eternity. You want them to be so much better and get better than you, to be honest, that they can go and do great work without your leadership or guidance. And then you can help someone else. Like then, then you have that, that bandwidth, that time to run to that other fire that comes up. Um, and so when I, when I give creative direction or when I'm helping someone learn how to be a creative director, I just remind them to be extraordinarily specific and over explain really i mean there's no there's no point of over explanation when it comes to conveying what's going on in your brain and why something isn't working for you or why something is spot on fantastic i think just don't stop at yes or no explain the why behind it and that will make a better creative and that will make your job easier in the end yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I also there was another post that you made, and I'm like like replaying your life back for you. But um, it was really <laughs> fascinating because I think it was somebody somebody on your team commented on like this incredible prompt that you gave them, which was something to the effect of, "Hey guys, let's think about this as if an AI as if some kind of AI software came up with it." Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And, and it was it was really clever because I'm like that's an interesting way to look at something. Is that pretty typical for you to do? Is to is to give is to give prompts or things for people to think about? Is that kind of part of your style? Oh yeah, uh, I'd say that's very much part of my style. Um, I've I've experienced some like I said some great creative directors, and I think one of the a few of the greatest creative directors I ever worked for were Wyden and Kennedy creative directors, and they were uh, relentless when it came to putting together decks and points of view and interesting ways of unpacking things. Um, and so, and I learned so much and, and got so much inspiration from um, so many of these points of view uh, that I made it a point when I started at, at Martin to make sure that I'm, I'm, putting the, those thought nuggets out into the world just to get people things to just rattle their brains, think a little differently um, and and just slice the problem differently. Um, because I think we get into a rut with our our how our brains function. And this gets into neuroscience a little bit more, but I think we have ruts. And if we don't get our brains out of those ruts with a new approach, a new way in, then we're just going to keep rehashing the same solutions over and over and over again. Um, so, and so the, the AI prompt, if, if you wanted me to talk about that a little yeah, bit, was yeah. uh, was just, you know, everybody's talking about Midjourney and Dolly right now. Yeah. And there's all of, all of these like, incredible visuals that are just popping up on LinkedIn. And we're seeing all these people are having so much fun with with um, with AI and what it can what it can bring about. And I, I was just thinking that's no different than imagination, really. And if you really think about it, it is the imagination. It's just us putting our thoughts into a computer or uh, artificial intelligence and seeing how that comes back at us. And so if we were to approach all creativity as if we were AI, then it would just be pulling from different sources and thinking, okay, what if I put these things together? How does that, un how does that shake out? 
if I put this together, if I think about, you know, what this would look like, if I added that in the mix, what would that look like? And I actually used AI as a, as a different tool the other day with creative direction. Um, I, I was talking to some designers and I was like, I had something in my head and we had no time to get across what I had in my head. And I just started thinking, well, maybe if I, if I plug in some things into AI, some, some weird wacky visuals will start to come back and I can at least show a, a beginning thought of what's in my head. I'm thinking like, it's, it was weird. It was like, what would the Comfort Inn logo look like if Metallica designed it with <laughs> some, uh, what's his name? Saul, Saul uh, what's the designer's name? I'm, oh, I'm blanking the, out. The, the, uh, the guy that did all the title, like the titles for movies and stuff? Saul? No, no. he did. He did. Yeah, Saul something or other. I can't remember his last name. It's escaping me. But he's cl like classic designer. But I was okay. just like, what would happen if we mixed all of that together? How would it look? And it was like, the, what came back was some weird like gradient stuff. And I was just like, oh, man, I would have never articulated this to my team. I want more gradients in the in the visuals. I would have never articulated that. So being able to say, like, I like this and this and this and mixing it together and seeing what popped out, I was able to then give more articulate creative direction to my creatives. And they went and did it much faster. So it wasn't it wasn't like the computer did it for me. Right. It just right. gave me the the visual language I needed to get across what was in my head. So right. I fat I am absolutely fascinated by AI and yeah. how how it it can help us move forward um with you know greater speed and a and a and a more succinct uh vision of what we imagined. You know what's interesting to me and I and I've been wanting to talk to someone else who's who is a writer. What's interesting to me is how, and I'm going to piss off probably half of the listeners, but the interesting part to me about mid journey and some of these things is that the words, right? Mm -hmm. the, 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 the articulation and the way what you're typing in and, and is, is the powerful thing. Right. And I just wonder, you know, does that mean that the, that the kind of the conceptual and the copywriter side is, is more valuable? I'm not saying that it is. Yeah, I'm curious because you know what I mean. Like, do we get to a point where yeah. it's like the people that know how to articulate the right words are going to then generate? You know what I mean? Or, or what do you think about? No, that? I, yeah. What do I think about that? That's a that's a good question. I think, um, you know, I don't think there's, I don't think you can ever, ever trump a uh, in, incredibly talented designer or. Right. Uh, painter or artist, I don't think that we can ever defeat that because at the, at what's really happening right now with the, with you know the language that we're using to prompt AI is it's still pulling from visuals that have been created by humans, so it's putting stuff together that's really interesting and and a, and a really clever way of recombining those things, but. Or they originated from humans, you know, humans created the original images that are pulling in to create, recreate and rebuild new, new images off of existing ones. So I don't think that we're ever going to be able to uh, get away from that because ultimately, like 
are you going, we're going to run out of visuals to pull from. We have to keep creating new stuff. We have to keep making new right. images and new visuals to pull from. All those new things from. that the AI is creating are now becoming fodder as well, right? It's, Which is kind yeah. of like one of those weird what things that's become? kind of a mindfuck. Yeah. It totally is a mindfuck. It totally is. But I don't think, to answer your question, I don't, I do think that writers have an interesting edge on, you know, AI because they're so, so great at articulating things, you know, I mean, that's, that's what they do. But I don't think that alone without someone to re-envision where the, where AI got, I don't think that, I don't think that that's the end. I think that that's the midpoint mid journey, which maybe that's why it's named that. But I think that that's the midpoint you put in something and then what can you pull out of it? So it's just getting, getting us further um, away from our original thought. And then we can pull back to a different, a different point. So it's just giving us more to push off of, I think. But anyway, again, that's just, it's just a lot that's been swirling around in my head. And I think really what it, to get it back to, you know, the prompt that I gave the team was like, you know, what, what would it, what would just pushing your brain to think more um, outside of where it's, where it's sort of programmed to go, right, right. what what happens then? Yeah, almost like in a really binary sort of way, right? Like you're, you know, you're mixing cards, one card says something very different mm-hmm. than the other, and you sort of like, what can we make when we mash these two things? together yeah and i think just to i'll close the loop but i think i do want to i do want to give some credit to uh jason bagley for sort of opening my mind to this approach because when i was working for him years ago i was working with ruth bilotti and our we were stuck we were stuck on on some digital brief and he had uh the planners and media folks go and fill a wall with post-it notes of just random thoughts. Some of them were media thoughts. Some of them were, um, you know, ideas or social media, just all kinds of random modern thoughts, I think is probably a good way to describe it. And he stuck us in a room for a couple of days together to just see where we could get if we had those props on the wall. And when we left, we presented our work to him and to this day, he still says that was one of the best pre- presentations he ever saw because it was so wild, you know, it was so wild where we got. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's nothing, it's not, it's not a new concept, right. you know, to just take random prompts and put them together, but it works, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. And I think that it's one of those things that, you know, in just the, um, in just the day-to-day nonstop, we forget about those things and we immediately want to just jump into writing down the ideas, right? And we forget about that element of play or doing things a little bit differently because we're just, we're, everybody's on a, on a, on a deadline, right? So you, you kind of cut corners on that. So when you do do it, right, it, it's like novel because people are like, wow, that was so cool mm-hmm. how you did that, right? But it, you know, yeah. it's just something that we probably have to to consider more often. Now, you, you've said a couple of things during our conversation that may make me think that you're a big reader and that you're reading stuff about how to think differently or get 
you know, or use your brain in different ways. Is, is that accurate? Are you, are you a big reader? Are you constantly fig trying to figure out ways to think differently yes. and come up with? Yeah. I'm a very big reader, but I never finish a book. So <laughs> I am, I, I have so many books in this house. I can't read fiction anymore because I can't start a book from, uh, from start to finish. But yes, I have so many books all over the place about concepts and thinking and, uh, like neuroscience and, uh, the language of the internet. And I mean, just, it's pretty, it's pretty deep. Is there one right that that's kind of like, you know, kind of Stand, kind of standing out for yeah, me right now, kind of poking you in the brain and saying, um, well, let's see, I have, uh, this one was pretty interesting and I, I, I liked it. It was called, it's called can't sell, won't sell. Um, and it, I don't know if you've heard of it, uh -uh. but it says our politics dictate the ads we create and distance us from our audience. That's the, the basic thesis of this one. And obviously this is an, an ad advertising nerd book, but it is interesting in a time when purpose-driven work is becoming the gold standard for anything that's worthy of an award. Um, we've gotten further from really great advertising um, that, that, sells a brand promise and an RTB and all the things that, you know, should matter to the business itself. Um, and I thought this was a pretty fascinating read. And again, I haven't finished it, but I've read quite a bit of it on one plane ride. That's cool. And then this is, this is one of my all time favorite books that I, I will dig up when I'm working with younger creatives. Okay. It's, it's, it's old and dated, but it's called cutting edge advertising, how to create the world's best print, for brands in the 21st century. Very old um, yeah. and lots of dated ads, but there's there's some really good chapters in here, like how to get an idea that are just amazing. And again, it goes back to that, that kind of like just throwing stuff up on a wall, yeah. trying to mix ideas together, but just ways to get people thinking differently about their process. Um, but it's a great, great book. And I, I, I've given away a few copies and it's out of print now. So it's like this one, I can't, I can't give away this one because it's, yeah, I might not true. be able to get it again. Yeah. That's cool. I love that. I love that. I have a bunch of books too, that, that I, that I turn to from time to time. And it's just, you know, it's so again, just remembering those things, right. And remembering some like basic things that we should be doing, but we get, we forget or we get too busy to do. Um, if you were, if you were giving, advice and you probably have to somebody who is looking to become to move up and become a creative director not necessarily an executive creator because we know you know that that's a long longer process but you know it's somebody that's that's a you know um a really good copywriter and they're thinking do i want to do this do i not want to do that what advice would you give them yeah i think it would depend on where they where they are um because the culture is is a big is a big component to what you need to be a successful creative director in that in that place. Um, and I think every every agency is a little bit different. I, I started out at Wyden as a copywriter, despite the fact that I'd been an ACD at uh, BBDO and a creative director at Silver Partners. At Silver Partners, I was um, one of only a few creatives. And so everyone who was there was pretty much a creative director. And then there were a few really young creatives. And so 
you know, we were all hands on deck there. But then when I went to Wyden, I was like, I'd like to be a creative director. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. Nobody starts here. And maybe this is different now, but nobody starts here. Very rarely do they start here as a creative director. Um, we want you to be a copywriter here first. And at first I was a little bit like, but I am good at my job. I am good, yeah. at, good at what I do. But in hindsight, you know, looking back, I learned so much about the standards at Wyden Kennedy and how to get to the level of craft that was necessary that I did not know <laughs> before because there are other agencies that are that handle things differently. But at Wyden, you do not present your idea to anyone without it being you having every every single aspect of that idea considered and represented in a in a in a document. So there may be things that still need to be figured out, but if you go to a, a director, you go to your partner, you go to your creative director, you know, no matter who you go to, you have all of the, the consideration thus far represented in a document. And then you have reference to show to that person to so that you're that much further along in the finishing of the idea. And so I guess I guess I'm getting a little off subject here, but no, okay. I would I would say to someone who's wanting to be a creative director at White and Kennedy or Martin as well, because Martin is is also has very high standards. Learn, learn to be a master of your trade before you become a teacher. Uh, feel that you've you've mastered something before you, uh, you know, embark on teaching teaching others because uh, you want to you want to feel you want to you want to know what you're talking about when you're when you're asking more of someone else. You want to be able to say, "Here's how you get there." Because if you can't really back it up with experience, then it might be it might be you might not get what you want out of out of the creatives. Yeah. And I, I, I was reading the, um, I guess it was sort of the press release that, that Martin had, had put out when you joined and how excited they were and all this this incredible experience that, that you were bringing to uh, the table. What, what it, you know, are there some, some, I mean, you've been there, what, almost two years now? It'll be two years? Yeah, like it'll October? be two years in October, uh-huh. Yep. What is it if if you can share? Like, what are your goals, or what are your you know, um, you know, because the Martin Agency has such a, a an amazing story and legacy. Like, what are you hoping to bring to the party, right? To make it. Um, they, somebody was quoted in the press release as saying, like, she's already made us better on day one. But what do oh, you hope to bring? That's nice. Um, you know, I think somewhere along the way, I heard make the work better and you're doing your job. Um, I'm sure there are other things I'm supposed to be doing that I probably have dropped the ball on. Um, but that's been my goal since, since I started. And I think, you know, I want to, I, I, I want everyone to continue to raise the bar. Um, I want to surprise, I want to surprise people that, um, you know, we don't have a house style at, at Martin that you there's, you know, all kinds of good ideas. I want to, I want to continue to show up with work beyond the TV spot. I think we've absolutely mastered um, the TV spot at Martin and I'd like to continue to do, you know, more activations outside of television. I'd love to 
we you know we did a we did a Fortnite idea that was really well received in the community, the Fortnite community. So I'd like to continue to show up with our brands in a way that that feels uh, relevant, like it matters, it gets talked about, and people appreciate that. You know, I think the the you know metaverse is the next frontier that we really have to sort out, and I think we have to kind of lead the lead the way on it. Make sure that we're not just showing up for the sake of showing up, but actually showing up in a meaningful way that is going to establish what the metaverse can be. Can we, can we create something that feels like it could actually start to identify what the metaverse is and is capable of because it's, it's, you know, an invention that's unraveling in real time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was reading an article the other day about, some folks that had had rushed into the metaverse to like buy property or land or whatever you want to call it and now that's sort of not necessarily working out it's going to work out in some form or fashion but it was just interesting how it's just it's we're just making shit up as we go like oh yeah fly, flying the plane as as you build it as they say or whatever yeah yeah totally i think that it's just you know keeping on and this goes for all all briefs, every piece of work that we make, um, you know, keeping keeping an eye on the but why piece of it. Like, yeah. why is this going to matter to anyone? Because if it doesn't matter to anyone, it's just going to disappear. Like, it's never going to make a real mark. So I think everything kind of has to answer that why does it matter piece in the metaverse yeah. and, and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, let's take a quick little break and we'll be back with more from Ashley Davis Marshall. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back with more from Ashley Davis Marshall. I want to talk about what appears to be a, a serious uh, queso addiction of some sort because it's on your it's on your portfolio. And as yeah. a, as, a, as a Texan, a fellow Texan, I want I want to spend a few minutes talking about this because I yes. I love it I love it too. It, a lot. It's also uh, in it deep in my arteries as well. Um, queso is is not is it while it may mean cheese in spanish um any true texan knows that cheese and queso are not synonymous right. uh case queso is a a melted cheese dip and i think predominantly made out of velveta and yep. rotel and then of course you know everybody's got their secret secret sauce that they put in that makes it 
the best. Uh, of course, my queso recipe is the best. Um, oh, but, oh, those are them, them flatten words. <laughs> yeah. we'll, have to, we'll have to discuss. All right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have it. Well, especially during football season, we have a lot of people over for football games and in, during football season. And there have been times when I didn't have the crock pot out in the queso. And I, I have been, you know, people jokingly will be like, where's the queso? I thought you were going to have queso. Um, and so I, I've learned my lesson that if it's, if, if, if there's football on or the weather is cold, I sure as hell better have the queso pot out. Um, but yeah, it is delicious and I can eat my weight in it. I love and it. I, I have, um, uh, there's a there's a friend of mine who um, I don't even know how it came up, but every year um, I make uh, tamales. You know, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. as as a good um, Mexican American does, right? I kind of figured out how to make them, and I make them. And somehow we started this trade, and he makes this. I mean, this, I, and I don't, I don't think he uses Velveeta, although I love Velveeta. He uses something else, and it's so hot and it's so good that we exchange. I make them like two dozen tamales and he makes me like these big like three big vats of it that last me for Man. Like a year and i don't what, that, I, I don't even make it anymore because it's so good yeah that sounds heavenly i could go for some tamales right now oh my god do you make pork tamales or chicken I, or i do vegetarian? and i make vegetarian because i we, we mostly do vegetarian but i do make the i make a pork a, a red I mean, a red chili pork and then i make uh we get crazy we we started this competition my cousin and i where we do a kind of a, a, a tamales cook-off and we have a category that's like a wild card and so we mm. made like a hot cheetos one and we made oh, like wow a, a korean <laughs> korean barbecue one that was pretty good and we yeah made i bet that is all good stuff yeah it's pretty fun you'll have to come down if you're if you're yeah. in the area yeah what is your area I, I i'm in forgot. i'm in long beach in, in long, long beach, beach california that's right and, yeah. and you're from originally you're from where originally i'm from teague texas and that's near Dallas or Houston or <sighs> nothing. It's near oh. nothing. Um, no, it's near. Um, so I'll, I'll rattle off a few names. Some, some people might know these things, but it's near Fairfield and Mahia, Corsicana, um, gets kind of close to Tyler and it's pretty close to Waco. And most people do okay. know Waco from yeah. the yeah. late nineties. Right. <laughs> yes. And then from Chip and jo Joanna Gaines, of course, right. they've also brought a Renaissance. Um, but yeah, uh, and I was there until until I graduated. Then I went to uh, College University of North Texas in Denton, um, which was uh, an awesome school to go to. Yeah. Um, and then, do you want do you want to do you hear my my yeah what my, my story? You want to hear yes. my story of how, yeah. how I got into advertising? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know if we were segueing into that. Um, so after college, I decided that, you know, I actually, I majored in advertising at University of North Texas, although I didn't want to. My mom encouraged me to go into advertising. She thought that I'd just be great at it. I was so clever and smart. I'd just be great at it. But um, I resisted it, like, very much resisted it. Tried to pursue anthropology, made straight C's in anthropology, realized it's a lot harder than I I thought. And so then I took an advertising course. And of course, I made an, an A and it was an easy A. So it's like, what am I doing? Path of least resistance. I'll just follow my mom's orders and, and, and study advertising. So I did. And then I, I had a I had a portfolio. 
and I was showing it around and I remember sending my portfolio off to Wyden and Kennedy, Kennedy. So cute. So cute because it was, it was a very mediocre book. Um, and I was living with my parents and I, I, I was interviewing at this place called Coffee Black. I don't think it's around anymore, um, but there was, it was in Dallas. And I went there, like, I went there with my book in hand and my, you know, my cute outfit and the whole, the whole nine yards. And I interviewed with this, this guy, I think his name was Jim Lawler, I believe was his name. His, his name was Jim. He was, uh, he interviewed me and he said, well, I, and I, I, memory might not be serving me well here, but he said something along the lines of like, well, I could give you a job, but you, you said you wanted to work at something like Widen and Kennedy or an agency like that. And you don't have the book for that. You don't have the book for that. So if you really want to do that, then I think you need to go to an advertising school. And it was like a dagger in the heart to hear that from Jim. But so I took the, I, I walked away from that interview kind of like pissed off and a little annoyed and then slept on it, continued to think about it and started thinking, okay, that is what I want to do. I do want, I do want to pursue that type of job. That is what I want out of my, out of my life and my career. And so I looked into the creative circus and I was like, holy shit, this is going to cost a lot of money. And it's not like I came from a ton of money or anything like that. I was, you know, very, very middle class um, and paid for a lot of my own college, in fact. So the idea of having anybody pay for postgraduate school was hilarious. Yeah. But and I ran the idea by my by my my stepdad and I, he was so supportive. He was like, I mean, we're not going to pay for it. <laughs> we can't pay yeah. for it, but you should do it. You should yeah. do it. What are you're young? Go do it. It's just, it's just money. And so I did it. And then I, while I was there, nine 11 happened and mm. then dried up the industry, obviously, and sort of came out, uh, behind where I started. Like I could have gotten mm. a job, two years right. ago, but now nine 11 has happened and nobody's getting jobs and people are getting laid off. And so that was, a, that was a major setback. And I was trying to get a job at Goodby and I was talking to Goodby for a long time. They were like, to be honest, like just kind of like leading me along. And then Shia, Shia hit me up and said, we're looking, I sent my book to so many places. They said they were looking for young bloods. And at the time they didn't even have a name. They were looking for interns. They were looking for unpaid interns, in fact, at first. And I was like, oh, screw that. I can't move to New York without money. That's not yeah. happening. So then they just said, well, okay, we realize we can't not pay you. So we'll give you minimum wage. Wow. And I was also like, no, I'm not doing that. But then there was literally nothing else. No other opportunity. There was nothing else on the horizon. So it was either I take this un this minimum wage job in New York City or I continue to wait tables in Atlanta. And so I just decided to take a leap of faith and I took the job. And that's where I met Craig Allen, who I think we all know and love Craig Allen. He's, you know, very famous creative. Um, and he and I were partners. And along the time, Jerry Graff started working there. And I didn't know Jerry Graff from Adam. I didn't know who he was, but everybody seemed really excited that this guy was coming um, to run Shiat. And so we got, you know, we had a lot of NASCAR assignments because we had those opportunities um, were the only ones that that really we, we could we could grab. Um, nobody knew NASCAR and Craig and I were both from 
Texas, and so everybody just assumed we knew all there was <laughs> to know about NASCAR. We knew, we also knew nothing, but it yeah. was fine. We were willing to learn. Um, and so, like, we he and I went on so many uh, trips to races around the country. Um, we just eat, ate uh, and breathed and lived and everything NASCAR just to, to learn the culture. And so we wrote a few commercials and um, the first ones were okay. The, the next ones were pretty good. And then Jerry said, Hey, do you want to, do you want a Skittles brief? And we were like, Oh, sure. So we worked like nonstop to sell a Skittles spot. We did not sell a Skittles spot, but we did get earn our keep and got to get on a starburst brief. And then once we started, then we, then we made some old spots, like, and some people, some of the old people might listening to this uh, podcast might remember like Ernie the Klepto. And there was like a factory spot where a guy burns off his arm to get, to get starburst and uh, art center where this sort of like creepy guy eat makes a, a a face that looks like his girlfriend so those were like <laughs> so and then you know and then a skittles uh, I, we finally sold a skittle spot that was that was like the pinnacle of 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 those days and then i decided i wanted to move back to texas i everybody i told was like are you are you kidding me you're like you're doing awesome and yeah. you want to go back to Texas. But I naively thought, and I would tell anybody who told me that they were thinking about making a decision that I didn't really think was wise. I, I naively thought that I could take, at the time, I could take my talent and my, um, my you know, my abilities and my skills and all this stuff, and I could take it to Texas, and I could have the same exact success. And it didn't, it did not... Um, occurred to me that it really was so much more than my own talent. It was a strong, Mm, creative driven boss. It was the account people who would stay up day and night and travel to the middle of nowhere just to try to get the test, the work to test so that it would sell. There were so many pieces of um, like blood, sweat and tears that had nothing to do with me that, that, that led to the success I was having. So I was at GSDNM for a year. I sold nothing. And to be quite honest, was like, how can I get back to New York? Yeah. This was a terrible mistake for me um, at the time. And I, that was a different time. So there's, I, I still know a lot of people at GSDNM who are great, but it was not right for me at the time. It was, I was not ready for that move. And so then I got, um, I got a call from Sachi and Sachi asking if I wanted to come out to work for Tony Granger. Um, Tony was there for a few months. Uh, and then Jerry Graff came back to Saatchi, came to Saatchi and Saatchi to be the creative director there, um, which was just a hilarious turn of events because I had left Shiat, right. went to Texas, then I was lamenting that I make the right decision. I can't believe I've done this. And then I end up at Saatchi where, lo and behold, I'm back with Jerry Graff, which was, up. yeah, which was I'm so I'm so glad that happened. Jerry's been a, a huge um, you know mentor of mine throughout my career. So then I worked at Saatchi for a while. Then I went to BBDO to work for uh, Greg Hahn and Michael Smith, and that was awesome. We worked on HBO. So and meanwhile at Saatchi's where I met Jacqueline. I forgot to mention, um, and that was 
that was that was fun. We worked together while our partners were on vacation, and you know, that's a that's a time for wondering eyes. Uh, you're the partners <laughs> the partners away, and suddenly she and I were yeah. working together, and oh, we were funny. like, "This is magic." I love this, and we had to we had to figure out a way to make it work, and it was not a not a problem. We easily became partners, and we started selling work, and then Greg Hahn wanted us to come work for him and so then she and i were like you know peanut butter and jelly we, we were inseparable and we continued to stay at bbdo for a while and i know she went into this a little bit when we decided to leave bbdo that was a really hard decision um, but we wanted to go work for uh for eric silver and we had been at bbdo for a little while and it was uh, several years actually and it was kind of time to start developing some new skills and take take a new another leap of faith you know because it had been a little while since we'd been uncomfortable and so we decided to go work for eric and that was really really hard that was really hard he was um you know there weren't many people who worked there eric is another wonderful creative director i learned a lot from him but he is hard to work for and i will i would tell him that to his face and he would say you are absolutely right ma'am and that's just in he is <laughs> he is relentless he is relentless he he never he's never not working that man he's just constant 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 and i was a new i was a new mom at the time and i remember one day i was working and working and working and i looked up and i saw my daughter um and she was singing at abc's and i was like huh when did she learn those Ooh. And that's when I said, okay, I gotta, I gotta rethink this. So I went and I talked to Eric and said, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, I love you and I love this job and I love this, this agency, but I can't do this because I'm not, I'm not able to be there for my kid. And I remember his response was quite honestly, I'm surprised you lasted this long. This is he, because he, he was like, this is motherhood is very hard and working for me is also very demanding. So you've done it and you've done it well, but yeah, it was time. So that was around, it was, I made that decision, like regardless of what my next move was, but then uh, it was interestingly enough, Wyden was also reaching out to Jacqueline and me yeah. um, to come out and work um, on Old Spice. And we, we had, I had been in talks with Wyden Kennedy for so long prior to that uh, but just the timing was never right um, for my family and it just partic that particular day that particular time it was a possibility for both my husband and me and so we ended up out here and um, I worked at Wyden for seven years and uh, worked on Old Spice then Facebook um, Samsung and then like multiple uh, the MS Society was another one that that was my first CD CD gig and I got that opportunity from um, Mark Fitzloff. And then and I got to w work directly under Wyden uh, himself, Dan Wyden, on that one, which was wow. pretty great. So you finally make it to Wyden and Kennedy. You could track this Jim character down who, who told you you weren't ready for that and be like, aha, I told you I made it. Well, I actually did uh, track him down. Um, I found him, I think, on LinkedIn a few years ago. And I just actually I shot him a thank you because it was like, you know, it, it was it was tough love. It was a weird thing, but I felt like he gave me the, you know, 
the drive and the kind of kickstart that I needed to, to really go after my dreams. And, you know, he's one of those people out there that influenced me more than, more than many others. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you need, you kind of need to, to hear the straight dope, so to speak, right? Somebody just telling yep. you the way it is. I want I wanted to get back to something that we teased earlier and something that, that you've been kind of wrestling with. And I wonder if it's, if it's related to sort of in a way, how, how, where you came from, how you came up, you, you talked about having this sort of imposter syndrome. Do you think it's related to growing up in a, in a small town? I grew up in El Paso, Texas, and I think yeah. I have a little bit of that. As a matter of fact, when I first got my job at Jack Morton, which was sort of the big job for me in experiential, I wrote on my notebook, you know, my first day, it said like, not bad for a kid from El Paso. And then I wrote right. Annette, receptionist, like, so I was writing people's names down, but I, I have that book somewhere. <laughs> so do you think that That's had amazing. anything to do with it? You like, just kind of a, like, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I, and it's so funny that you are, you are unpacking that today because I don't think it's really dawned on me until recently I did a, I did like a, a 360 evaluation at, at my job where it was kind of like really trying to find the areas where I need to get better. And self-assurance and, you know, believing in my point of view are areas where I could strengthen that, um, my skills. And the coach had a conversation with me and actually got to the bottom of that. It's, it's the fact that I came from a small town and, you know, it, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, really. It's like, my small town upbringing and, uh, you know, state school education makes me like really know what it's like to be just a right. pretty average, normal person. And then to make it, you know, Madison Avenue and Widen Kennedy and all these great places. It, sometimes I guess in my head it seems like it has to be a fluke, but really if I stop and I look at it, one of the reasons why I am good at my job is because of that upbringing, that background and the insecurities to some, some level, I yeah. think are probably, are probably making me better. So if you can, and I'm, I'm assuming this is sort of your, your, your confession of a creative director, just this, that you're wrestling with these, um, with these insecurities or the, or these thoughts of imposter syndrome, how, how do they, how do they sort of manifest themselves on a, on a, you know, in a, you know, on a, on a, when they do manifest themselves, how does it appear? Well, uh, I'll, you know, hesitation, Hes mm. hesitation to, um, speak up, to oppose a viewpoint, hesitation to interject my point of view that, that can, that can be what I wrestle with constantly. But I will add to that, that I think, through you know some in introspection and all that you do as a human being on this planet i've actually kind of been thinking about what is my like what are what are, what are my core beliefs as a person and really it comes back to and this is something i touched on earlier is helping other people is is really all i want to do in my life i love creativity i love advertising i love all the things that i do but, and I want other people to love it and enjoy it and be amazing at it. So 
at this point in my career, it's really helping other people get better and, and become awesome and go take off and take flight and do all the things. And so knowing that my, you know, core belief and my core desire is to help others, I came to determine that hesitating and not speaking my thoughts and not giving my feedback and not helping um, formulate the, the ideas that are going forward is really a disservice to other people because other people truly do want to be helped and they truly do want to hear feedback and they truly do want their work to get better. They nine times out of 10 are having a meeting with you so that all of those things can be achieved. Um, it's not for me to be silent. It's for me to help, help them. So if I'm not doing that and I'm not saying my, my piece in every opportunity that I have, then I'm, I'm holding back and I'm not helping. Yeah. That's uh, and, and so you, you mentioned working with the coach. So that was part of your kind of like your, your 360 at work. But is that something yeah. that you also do just in general? Do you have sort of like a coach? I, I had a coach I, for a while. I, so I had the three, three, I've had a coach in the past at Wyden. I had a coach. Um, her name was Akila. Oh my gosh, Akila! If you're out there and you're listening, I can't. Your last name is escaping me. But I, she's a she's adorable, amazing. Akila Kaday. Almost almost forgot. Did she work she's for Nike? Did she work for Nike at some point? She may have, but. Okay. She's she's a, fan, she's a fantastic thought leader and has been very much an advocate for uh, women in leadership, um, people of color in leadership. There's just been a lot of uh, she's very, very strong advocate in those fields. And when I was at Wyden, she was very good at helping me find my strength and my ability to lead and my um, I guess my my, my backbone to some degree. Um, so that was, she was a great person to work with. And then when, when I started at, at Martin and I had this 360 evaluation, which by the way, was outstanding. The whole yeah. process was, was incredible. Um, I was talking to a woman named Carla who is now my coach. And as she was talking to me and helping me evaluate this, um, this feedback, which mind you was really mostly positive. It was pretty, um, it was pretty earth shattering to hear such positive feedback in this mm -hmm. setting. And really she played it back for me and she made me realize that I was not playing. She had me play it back for her rather and made me realize that I was playing back the worst of the worst of the highlights. It was like only, oh. like, you know, 2% and was like, I need to try harder at this and I need to do better at this. And she made me kind of realize that I need to, pay attention to what's good and what's, right. what's great actually. And so I was I immediately asked if she could be my coach because I thought that she could help me overcome, um, you know, any imposter syndrome that I had, um, you know, any hesitation that I was, I was experiencing in, in leadership. And was that, um, cause I'm looking back here, is it related also just to, cause this is it, this, the role at Martin is the first time being ECD. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was, it, it was it in relation to that, like, holy shit. Now I'm, I'm the person, although I think there's two of yeah. you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's three of us now. Um, okay. when I started, there were two of us, uh, Jerry Hook, and now Jordy, um, is also, uh, an ECD in, 
one of the three of us. And then we all, we all work into Danny Robinson, our CCO. Um, and yes, when, you know, you first take on a big role like that, it is, um, you know, there is the, the self doubt. Can I do this? Am I capable of this, this much pressure? Am I capable of, of leading, you know, leading an agency in, in creative integrity and thought leadership and all the things are, are start to cross your mind. Can I do this? Um, same thing when you become a CD. I mean, it's it's at every every time that sure. you take on a new level of responsibility, the doubt creeps in for sure. Um, but I would say that um, having you know two years under my under my belt now, I, I I do realize that that's mostly just what all it is. It's just doubt. Like nobody walks into any job knowing how to do everything. They just right. don't. They either have the ability to learn and grow quickly, or they don't. I mean, that's really where, what sets the the good up, up, or the great apart from the, the mediocre. I think is the ability to grow and develop and 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 sharpen your skills as you as you take on the job. Yeah, and know kind of when you need to turn to other people, or know when you need to bring in other people to help you with things and things like that, which you know sometimes is hard for probably yeah, maybe i'm speaking for myself it's hard right because you're like well i'm supposed to know and i, I should be able mm-hmm. to do it and it's like you can't there's no way that you can know it all and do it all and you know um so that's that's great i think that's a thanks for thanks for sharing that because i think it's you know a lot of people f- feel that and it's it's sort of the number one confession that i hear on the on the podcast and it's the it's the first chapter in in my book is i talk about that because if you you know that you're gonna you're gonna have to deal with it and if you can't deal with it and it never goes away then maybe this isn't the right job for you and i think that's you know i I still think that's pretty accurate yeah i agree i agree uh so what's next for you i mean obviously you're you're gonna be doing great stuff here but what what just in general like what is your you know do you have some big plans some big goals Mm. I, you know, I love new business. And so I'm, I, I, I've recently helped out on a pitch that we were working on at the agency. We don't have, we don't have the results of yet, but it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I'm just a glutton for punishment. So I'm ready to jump into the next pitch. Uh, I love, I love building teams and working quickly um, to get, to get to great work. So I think that's like, the best chance to do that. And then, you know, my kids are going back to school pretty soon. We're going to take a trip back to Texas before the school year starts. Um, Eat some queso. Yes, absolutely. Authentic stuff. Um, See a football game, I think. So, you know, summer's winding down. So it's really just soak up every last um, ounce of the sunshine I can. Yeah. Well, thanks for spending some of that summer with uh, me and the listeners. And I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, you know, I am so glad that that Jack mentioned you and, and I was able to kind of, you know, and enter your world and, and kind of connect with you. And, and really just thanks for sharing everything with the audience. I think there was a lot of great um, nuggets of, of wisdom and uh, lots of good uh, thoughts. So thanks again. And it's yeah. always great to meet a meet a fellow uh, Texan creative. So let's let's keep in touch. It is. Yeah. Well, it's so nice to meet you, Jaime. Thank you for thinking of me. And this has been a real, really fun. So thank you. Good.
Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Ashley. We'll talk soon. All right. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of Confessions of a Creative Director in the Books. Thanks to my very special guest, Ashley Davis Marshall, for sharing all those uh, great nuggets of wisdom. There was many of them, but probably my favorite one uh, was around, you know, working and, and giving people feedback, right? And th this idea of don't stop at yes or no, you know, in other words, yes, yes, it's good. No, it's not good. Talk about the why. Give them feedback. Give them very precise feedback and notes. And that's the way that, that you really uh, help people grow and lead them to be the very best. So I love uh, that one. The other one I, I really loved was learn to be a master of your trade before you become a teacher. So I thought that one was really great. So I hope you took a lot of notes. Again, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your friends about it. Start spreading the word about the book. Keep an eye out for uh, the uh, book cover art, which I will be dropping here very shortly. And, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. And until next time, peace, love, and creativity. Do your job, but could you make the logo bigger? Bigger, bigger, make it.